Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. We do that. If you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand. The reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty? visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Eliza. Thank you all for being here. Uh, If we haven't met, my name's Arnaldo. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is such a pleasure to have you with us on Justice Sunday. Uh, And what we do every single year is that we pause our preaching calendar to talk about and to celebrate and to highlight our relationship with IJM, Uh, a little bit more about that in just a moment. But every year, uh, we want to make sure we stop and and we we put them on blast, we put them on display, uh, because we want to strengthen the work that they're carrying out. And the work that they're carrying out is to help alleviate poverty and to end modern-day slavery. We have a lot to learn as a community when it comes to being a church that's not just on about speaking truth, but about living truth and about embodying the effects of the gospel. Now, I understand that well over half of us, uh, probably 75% of the room here, uh, have recently joined over the past six months or so. And so we've actually partnered with IJM for the last couple years. So I'm going to take a moment here. I'm going to bring your attention to the screens uh, so that they can introduce operations all over the world, rescuing people from slavery. Because today there are criminals who abuse children, sell girls. How old is she? 12. How much? 30. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And force families into slavery. Criminals prey on the easiest target, the world's poor, because they expect no one to defend them. But today, 
there are thousands of people gathering to seek justice for those in slavery. We are a group of lawyers, counselors, activists, and supporters. We are called International Justice Mission. And together, we form the largest international anti-slavery organization in the world. But slavery won't come to an end until criminals know they can't get away with it. So we partner with local police to arrest and prosecute criminals. This sends a message to slave owners. We will not go away. We stay with the survivors until they are healed, until they are free. Natulungan po ako ng IJM sa pamamigitan po na sa case ko, sa pagtulong po nila na ma-overcome ko po yung, yung fear. Each year, we rescue thousands of slaves and protect millions around the world. We are transforming how justice systems protect their citizens. To those who are still enslaved, we promise to find you. We will get you home to your families so you can have the freedom you deserve. difficult um, but we are we're proud to partner with them as they seek to work with local justice officials community partners and advocates and churches like us to uh, try to end slavery in our time and they do this again I want to I want to highlight by strengthening local justice systems they're not just coming in and, and running roughshod over what's already in place uh, but they want to work to strengthen indigenous local uh, justice systems they're rescuing and restoring victims bringing criminals to justice and advocating for the protection of the uh, essential and tangible future for everyone uh, people are forced if we don't know this, uh, so, so you know, I so I grew up in America. Uh, I'm Puerto Rican. I have African ancestry, and so there's this narrative. Uh, we often think that um, as soon as the uh, Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president, uh, issued the the Declaration of Emancipation, that that slavery had ended. Uh, but there are more slaves today in the world than there had ever been. There are about 40 million people today uh, caught in sex trafficking or forced scamming, the sexual exploitation of children online, violence against women and children, poor people in developing worlds who are abused and brutalized by corrupt police enforcement officers. And these people who are made in God's image deserve justice. They do not deserve to be used and abused for profit. And IJM is an organization that knows and understands God's heart for the oppressed. So today, what I want to do is I want to ground all of this, and I want to ground us in what Scripture talks about justice. What does what do the Scriptures say? Because it's it, it's all well and good to be moved, right, by images and 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 words and and, and a nice soundtrack. But we need to be rooted in Scripture. If we're going to become a people of justice, uh, what do we need? What resources do we need? What vision do we need so that we can fight for justice together? And then I'm going to call you at the end uh, to partner with us in particular ways, individually and as a church. But before I do so, help me to pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We 
We thank you that you've given us enough health and enough energy, Lord, to be here. And I ask that you would help me to forget the things that are not going to be helpful and help me to remember the things that will be. I pray now, Lord, that you would draw people near the cross, that you would woo people by grace, and, and that uh, even if, if there are those who are maybe far from you today, Lord, would you bring them near? And let the words of my heart and the meditation of the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And the church said, and the church said, so we live truly in a beautiful place, don't we? Like the world, we live in a world that can leave us breathless, a world of sounds that can enrapture our souls and a world of tastes that transport us into different dimensions. There are so many good and true and beautiful things that we should, that we're called to, to celebrate in our world. There's food, right, and laughter and friendship, the love of pets, which I personally do not understand, a freshly mowed lawn, clean water, the Grand Canyon, the northern lights, the lush, beautiful rolling hills of New Zealand, the French countryside, and my personal favorite, the thing that I enjoy the most in the world is an empty laundry basket. That is a sight to see. It doesn't last very long in a family of six, but it is a beautiful thing. And on and on we can go about the things that we enjoy, that we should enjoy, that God equips us to enjoy, that God gives us the taste buds to enjoy. We can, that list go, is a very, very, very long list. But in a world that is so beautiful, we also understand that this world in so many ways is broken and is damned. There, there are so many true and beautiful things to celebrate in our world, and yet we can't go very long without encountering something that has been infected by disease or destruction or chaos or dysfunction. In other words, uh, e e even as we experience the beauty of the world, we also experience the world as it's plunged into sin and into darkness. Now, this will not be a sermon that will explain how those two things can coexist at the very same time. That's for another time. I'm going to take it on the strength that in our experience, we both, uh, we experience both good and evil personally. I'm just taking that as, as an assumption that we all understand we've all been enraptured and we've, we've all been disgusted by the world. Rather, what I want to do is outline a response to the reality that we live with, that I'm not going to argue for today, a reality where humanity is both victim and victimizer, where humanity is both oppressor and the oppressed, both the cause and the recipient of much of the pain and of the violence and of the abuse that we find in our world today. This beautiful world is vandalized. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And so I want to take us on a bit of a journey and, and first understand that God is a God of justice. We, we must get this. If we, if we try to pursue justice on our own terms or based on our own vision, we will fail or get proud if we succeed. And second, that this God of justice desires that we be shaped into a people of justice. So first, the God of justice. American philosopher, political activist, and professor Cornel West is famously known to have said this, that never forget, never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. 
Throughout the entire witness of scripture, God is said to be consistently a God of love. God is many things. He's multifaceted, but supreme among everything else that scripture says about God. God is love. He feels deeply. We find a God who feels deeply and who acts in accordance with his deepest desires. God is a God of pathos. He feels a God whose very essence can be captured in the self-revelation. Listen, we, we can't look at the world and name God, but what God can do, he can reveal who he is. Now, of course, God is more than love, but by God's own self-confession, Scripture tells us that his, uh, the operating center of his heart is Love. The John 3.16 of the Old Testament, which Eliza read for us, says this, that the Lord, Yahweh, passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, I want to focus on, on these two words here in, in, that we have in English, a steadfast love that uh, come out two times in these verses. And the word here is, is the word chesed. It's the word chesed. And it shows up about 246 times and it's translated in a variety of different ways in our English translations like love or kindness or goodness or loyalty or mercy. These and more are used to, to carry the sense of this word chesed. And my favorite uh, way of capturing this thought is, is of loyal love. That Yahweh, the Lord, God, is full of loyal love. If you were to cut God, get, I don't know what kind of blade, that's a metaphysical blade, you would be able to cut God, he'd bleed chesed. He would bleed loyal love. This is at the very center of who he is. And when we move into the New Testament, it only gets clearer for us. 1 John 4 will, will speak twice about God being love. God is love. It doesn't say that God has love, although he has. It doesn't say that God uh, acts in a loving way, although he does, or he feels love, although he does. It says that God is love, agape. This, this word that, that is used, and all the way from Genesis to Revelation, we experience a trinity, a community of Love, a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit of Chesed, of Agape. But what does Chesed, what does Agape look like in public? Because when we think about love, we think how we feel. It's, it's warm and, and, and it's good. It, it's good for us. But what does love look like in public? In a world that has gone completely off the rails. What does love, which isn't very sentimental when you get to the bottom of it, what does it look like in public? What does love look like in a world where children are trafficked as sex slaves? 
What does it look like to have love when a young destitute woman is promised a job on another island only to be taken away from her family and being forced to enter into the sex industry? What does love look like for more than 40 million people that are held right now as you sit here, as we breathe our freedom? What does love look like? For 40 million people held in slavery today, where one and four are children, let me tell you, it looks like justice. That's what love looks like in public. The Bible's picture of justice is not just about fixing what has gone wrong. The Bible's picture of justice is not about just righting wrongs, but giving people the due them the, the due that is due to them as people made in the image of God. And there are two words. You're getting a Hebrew lesson today. There are two words that the Old Testament uses that we translate as justice or righteousness. And the first one is this one, mishpat. Mishpat, which is translated as justice or a right decision or a judgment or a right ruling. And in the face of uh, of injustice and corruption. This seeks to correct oppression and, and, and release people from oppression. It shows up around 420 times in the Old Testament. And the second word that's used, it's sedakah. I like this one. Sedakah. And it's used about 156 times in the Old Testament. And that more carries the positive sense to do right, righteous deeds or, or honesty or, or morality or community justice. But when we hear the word righteousness in our world today, how do we feel? Righteousness has fallen on hard times because when we hear the word righteous, we're thinking personal morality. It's what I do behind closed doors. It's whether I cheat on my taxes or not. And while part of this language is meant to talk about our personal morality, it is far bigger than that. These words have a social dimension. I love the way uh, that Bethany Hoang and, and Kristen Johnson, they put, they put it in their book where, where they say righteousness is not about an abstract moral standard to which we need to adhere to perfectly, but rather it is about living faithfully in each of our relationships. This is about community ethics, not just about our personal or private relationship with God, because this God, Yahweh, is most committed to not just the idea of justice, but actually seeing justice in his world. God desires, Nicholas Walserstroff says, God desires that each and every being shall flourish. This is God's desire for the world. There's this old uh, word called shalom in the Old Testament, and it's, it, it, we often will translate it as peace, but it's far more than peace. It is flourishing. It is being exactly what God calls us to be and to do. God desires that each and every being, human being, shall flourish, and that each and every shall experience what the Old Testament writers called shalom. Injustice is perforce the impairment of shalom. This is why God loves justice. He desires flourishing the flourishing of each and every one of God's human creatures, and justice is indispensable to that. And this is Scripture's witness through and through and through and through and through. Psalm 99 will say, the king in his might loves justice. Mishpat. You have established equity and you have executed Mishpat and Sedaka in Jacob. 
The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. But let him who boasts, boast in this, Jeremiah says, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices chesed, mishpat, and tzedakah in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. And Psalm 9 will say, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne. His throne is established on justice. And he will judge the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. Over and over, hundreds of times, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the Father of Jesus Christ, Yahweh is described as a God who not only loves justice but pursues what he loves. And he wants to create a people that will pursue it with him. And with that, what what we're called to do and we're called to be is to be people who extend his chesed and extend his mishpat and extend his tzedakah into the world so that people will experience everything they're designed to experience. And if we think, and if we think that this is just an Old Testament thing and things somehow changed with Jesus, that somehow we now get to forget the body and just worry about the soul, we haven't been reading our New Testament well. Jesus... Jesus, Yahweh incarnate, God incarnate, did not suddenly move as he became enfleshed out of the flesh, right? You, you, you get what I'm saying. He, he didn't come in flesh to help us worry about just the spirit. He came in flesh to show us what it looks like to pursue justice in the world. Somehow, with the turn of the page from the prophet Malachi to the evangelist Matthew, we think that God's pursuit of justice morphs from the historical and the embodied to the immaterial and the otherworldly. But again, Walserstroff is helpful here when he says this. Justice, along with its negative injustice, is one of the main themes in the New Testament, actually. Real justice and real injustice, not some spiritualized counterpart. In this world of ours, persons are wronged, justice is breached. That is the ever-present context of the New Testament writings. And so, listen to me. While love stands at the very center of God's being, the way that love comes to bear on this broken world takes the contours of a dogged, dogged pursuit of justice to the point where God himself, listen, God himself will become subject to the worst injustice this world has ever seen. Jesus, who established his public ministry on the, on the, uh, on the, on the coattails, as it were, from, of the prophets of justice of the Old Testament, he opens up the scroll of Luke, he finds the place, and where does he go? This is, is Jesus' first public sermon, and what will he talk about? He's not going to talk about some escape to go to heaven. This is what Jesus talks about. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news, gospel. I'm preaching gospel, he says, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are, what, oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus would come to deal the decisive blow to the powers and the principalities, the demonic forces in the world that animate all of the injustice and evil in the world by defeating them on the cross. We, what we have here, what we ha- let me calm down. What we have here is a God, both in the Old and the New Testaments, that is stubbornly committed 
to seeing justice infiltrate the world, each crevice, each highway, each city, each town, each home, each closet, the public places, and the private places. He wants littered with justice. This is the God of justice. And what he's calling us to, and what I want to call us to, is to partner with him to become a people of justice. This can only happen when we understand, first, that Jesus has set us free from the power of sin and death on the cross. Because by doing so, we can become conduits of what God is doing in the world. Listen, this, this, is, God to, this, is, this is climate. I mean, Romans 8, for me, is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, but 2 Corinthians 5.21 is slowly climbing up there. This verse is amazing. For, for our sake, he made him, so that's Jesus. So, so the first he, by the way, is, is God, right? He, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him, when we are incorporated into the life of Jesus, we might become the what? The righteousness of God. And a very good translation of that word righteousness is justice. So that we can become the justice of God. Now the church is the conduit, the avenue through which justice flows to the world. It's crazy that we're a bunch of kind of nobodies. And yet God chooses us to be the thing, to be the agent by which he's making the world right again. What we're doing is not small. Hell is trembling now because what we're doing is not small. God says, I'm going to choose these people, not because of who they are, but because of who I am, and I'm going to make them the avenue through which I'm remaking the world, through which I'm bringing righteousness to the world, through which I will bring justice to the world. This is no small thing. Now we can become a people of justice, and our call is to witness to the justice of God and the God of justice through our own pursuit of justice. In his name and in his power, we cannot, listen, we cannot relegate matters of justice to the left or the right, to the politically progressive or the conservatives. Our call now is to witness to who this God is. The call in the words of Micah 6, 8, is to do mishpat, to love chesed, to do justice, to love loyal love, to walk humbly with our God. Justice is justice. If you understand the gospel, if you are walking with Jesus here today, justice, we must understand justice is naturally fixed to the heart that's been grasped by grace. Justice is naturally fixed to the heart that has been grasped by grace. We're saved by the God who loves justice. And he speaks this to his divine counsel. He says, give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That sounds a lot like what IJM is on about. Justice is not a distraction from evangelism. Justice does not get in the way of evangelism. It bolsters it. Evangelism, right? Uh, Sharing the gospel with people with a complete lack of care for the world sounds hollow and plain, like just fake. We're not called to save souls and forget the body. The resurrection of Jesus is a bodily resurrection, by the way. Newsflash. Jesus' spirit didn't wake up. His body 
was resurrected. And, and, and so what this, what this tells us is that God, God embodies a whole love for a whole people that's in a whole lot of trouble. And, and this absolutely includes sharing the good news of Jesus, of rescue from Satan's sin and death. But it should also lead us to setting up systems and structures that reflect his kingship. In Jesus' own words, he will say this to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders of the world, to the ones who cared about personal morality. He says this, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe, which is taking a tenth and giving it to the church. You tithe mint and rue and every herb, but you neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And this is what often people who are on about justice speak about. They say, it doesn't matter what you do personally, only what you do publicly. That's not what Jesus says. He says, you, you ought to have done uh, this without neglecting the others. You want to you wanna tithe from your spice rack? Good. But don't neglect justice, thinking that your personal morality will, will sort of like uh, 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 absolve you from your public due to humanity. Jesus is not having a go at them for tithing from their spice rack. He encourages it. He encourages their personal morality. But he says, if you think your personal morality, how good you are in and of yourself, if you think that excludes you from doing justice, you've got it all wrong. It's not about one or the other. It's about embodying God's whole love for the whole world. It's not about upholding a Christian sex ethic of one woman and one man for one covenant for a lifetime or feeding the poor. You don't have to choose. It's, it's not about organizing your life around prayer or providing for the sick. You don't have to choose. It's not about choosing about an inner morality of the heart or loving actions of the hands. You don't have to choose. And so we don't choose because we don't have to. The church is the people of God saved by the redeeming work of Jesus, extending his redeeming work into the world. And until that happens, and we pray that it happens soon, that Jesus comes back, We want to be a community that's shaped by justice. We, ourselves, who've received grace, who've been freed from Satan and sin and death, we now partner with God to see all people experience freedom in both body and soul. We understand that we don't have all the answers. We understand that one singular church is not called to solve the ills of the world on their own. There are people and there are strong and trustworthy organizations that we can partner with to become part of the solution so that we can see mishpat and tzedakah ring out for, from us for the glory of God. And this is why I want us to consider what it looks like for us to partner with IJM. I want us to consider ways that we can do this. Uh, their vision is to rescue millions, protect half a billion, and make justice for the poor unstoppable. More than 66,000 people have been rescued from oppression, and IJM will work where justice systems are unable to protect the oppressed from violence. Today, IJM helps local justice systems protect over 150 million people from violence around the world, and since 2012, more than 96,000 justice system officials have been trained to both recognize and to respond to violence. And they have more than 3,200 convictions against slave owners and rapists and traffickers and other criminals. I genuinely love the work that they're doing. And so there are going to be two ways that I'm going to ask you to partner today with IJM. First, you can become a freedom partner, which is uh, you can sign up by, by clicking, uh, 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 taking a photo of that QR code and sign up as a, as a freedom partner, and you'll be able to give a monthly gift to what they are doing. But second, and collectively, there's something that we as a church can do. And I'm going to give you some breakdowns of 
what, how much money, how long, how far can this go? So if we raise together as a church $150, that'll cover the cost of one day of OSEC. And OSEC is online sexual exploitation of children. Uh, we'd be able to cover a day of, of investigations and skilled investigators will plan rescue operations to free enslaved children and to collect evidence to convict criminals and to protect survivors for 150 bucks. 250 will help fight a legal battle in the court. It takes great bravery for a survivor to have to share their story in court. And this ensures that they have uh, excellent lawyers and the necessary support by their side. If we raise 450 together, it will provide five hours of trauma therapy to help survivors overcome fear and anger and shame. Skilled counselors create a customized treatment plan for every single help for every single survivor uh, on the road to restoration. It's not just about freeing them, but restoring them. 1500 will cover the cost of two weeks of OSEC investigations. Skilled investigators, again, they, they will plan uh, to, to, to rescue free, uh, to, to rescue and free enslaved children. 4500 will cover the cost of an entire prosecution development in the Philippines for one month, ensuring that the best support is possible for them to fight legal battles. 5,000 is the average amount for one rescue operation in Cebu in the Philippines, and 12,500 will provide direct victim aftercare services to rescued victims of online sexual exploitations for six months, including mental care, meals, and other items for their immediate needs. And so one thing that you can do today is if you'd like to uh, uh, become a, a singular freedom partner, you can do it this way. Or if you'd like to actually, uh, uh, we can pool our, our resources together and help out in this way. You can give in your normal way, but you must market IJM support and I can report to you as to how far we can go together. My hope and my prayer is that we would together support this work in seeking to bring God's flourishing to those trapped in the demonic evil of slavery. Now that's one way we can partner with what God is doing globally. But local, what are we doing for Panania? What, what are we going to do here? What, uh, uh, m m maybe uh, we can't uh, partner financially, but we have some time to give. I'd also love to partner with this ministry called Hands and Feet. Now, Hands and Feet is a mercy ministry that's run by our denomination, Triple C Austin. They do great work. And, and the model is this. It's very simple. They will give us food, for $2 a household. So we give them $2 out of our generosity fund. They, they give us groceries and we hand them out to Penang. That's, that's all we do. And all we would need is a couple hours of your time on a Saturday to, to, to help alleviate the bit of a pinch that this community may be feeling. They're having a, a fundraiser there on October the 12th at 7 o'clock over in Hurstville. Uh, but on the first or uh, last Saturday of every month, we're working out some details. But soon, before the year's out, uh, we want to gather some people to come here on a Saturday, meet the community, and just hand out groceries. It's simple as that. Let's embody justice and grace and mercy, not to those who are far from us, but those who live right next Door. I'm incredibly excited to make this part of our monthly and maybe as we grow weekly rhythms as a church. And so I'm almost done on a global scale. I'd love us to partner with IJM on a local scale. We will be partnering with hands and feet. And this, I pray, will continue to form us as a people of generous justice. Listen, there is a lot of work to do. And absolutely nothing to prove. Is it what? What a cocktail of grace. How amazing is that, right? Like oftentimes our work is so tied to what we must prove, right? 
And, 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 and for, for, for a lot of us, if we don't work, if we don't, if we don't do something, man, it, it lowers who we are. But, but what a cocktail of grace that we have a lot of work to do and nothing to prove at all. Remember what he tells his apostles, Jesus, that they could do nothing apart from him. And similarly, we can do nothing apart from the empowering grace and presence of King Jesus. And we have to ask this question. I'm almost done. We have to ask this question. What will fuel our pursuit of obedience to justice? What's the, what's the gasoline? What's the fuel in the tank? What, what will keep us on the road to confront injustice in our world? Where will we find the motivation and the energy to partner with God to see the world, this world, our world, reflect God's good desires? The only way, the only way that we can become agents of justice without becoming oppressive ourselves is to first marvel where perfect justice and perfect love was displayed. In the cross of Jesus, perfect love, perfect justice. You see, you and I, and I mean every single you, like every single one of us, regardless of who you think you are or how good you think you are, every single one of us is so broken and so sinful. We're so part of the problem that God the Father sent God the Son in the power of God the Spirit on a mission to die in our place. Condemned he stood, free we went. And if we're ever going to be a force for good in the world, we must first, and, and we can be a, a real, listen, this is, I'm not play acting up here. We can actually be a force for good in the world. But if we're going to do that, we must first confront our own evil and see how we ourselves should be sentenced. We're the ones on the block. We're the ones who should have been condemned because of what we've done. Otherwise, we're going to go on some holy crusade of justice without first understanding our own sinfulness. And listen, it will crush you. Or something worse, you'll become proud because you've done so good. Because you, 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 you are the one. Because you're him. We can only become agents of mishpat and tzedakah when we first see how we've sinned against and have been forgiven by this holy God of love and justice. He, we are so sinful that he had to die for us, but you are so loved that he was glad to die for you. So yes, I'm calling you to give up some of your money and partner financially with IJM. And yes, I'm calling you to give some of your time to partner with hands and feet, but this must first come as a result of examining the gospel because it's the gospel that must fuel our vision for justice. It's the gospel that will sustain us in our pursuit for it. I mean, look at the length that God went to to see the world made right. He would take on all the injustice of the world in his body. He would take on all the pain, all the suffering of the world. He would take it on himself in the cross. And it was by submitting himself to injustice, our slaps, our spitting, our nails, our lashes, because of our sin, he submitted himself to this, the greatest injustice of the world. And it's by submitting himself to injustice that now we can become conduits of his justice. For he became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. Let me pray for us.
Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that there is now nothing to earn here. We have been programmed. We have learned the ways of the world, of meritocracy. We have learned the ways that we must earn our standing. But the gospel says no. Your standing is gifted to you. Your standing is a gift. You have nothing to prove. We have lived for far too long under the voices of our parents and grandparents and the social systems around us saying that we are what we do, we are what we have, we are what people think about us. But the gospel says no. The gospel says that when we trust and we believe in Jesus, you are now, Lord, we, we are now proclaimed sons and daughters of Christ. There is nothing we can do to earn your love. And it's your love for us that is going to fuel our justice in the world. We cannot go about this in our own strength. We cannot go about this with our own vision. We must see ourselves as conduits of what you are doing. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers build in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, the watchmen watch in vain. And so do a holy work, Jesus. Do a holy work in us personally. Help us to be confronted by our own limitedness. Help us to be confronted by our own waywardness. Help us to be confronted by our own sin. And help us to meet grace right there. Where there is sin, grace will abound. And so we thank you, Jesus. We love you. And we ask that you would do a special and mighty work amongst us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And the church said, one of the things that we do as we sing is there's stations to my left and to my right. Uh, and it's an opportunity for